You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed when they... Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 34. Today's reading is from Acts of the Apostles, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach, until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commandment through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his passion by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days, and speaking of the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he charged them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but before many days you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said this, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Then they returned from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. Our reading today is appointed for the Feast of the Ascension, which falls on May 28th this year. And in the beginning of this reading, as is the case in the opening of the Gospel of Luke, we see the person called Theophilus mentioned here. Father, as we begin today, would you share with us anything that is known about this person and why St. Luke specifically addresses his Gospel and the Book of Acts to him? Yeah, that's a great question to get us started today. Traditionally, there's been differing opinions about whether or not Theophilus in both Luke and Acts is a, quote, real person. And the reason for that dispute is because, as is the case in all ancient societies, names had actual meanings. Today, of course, in our society, we don't normally associate a specific meaning to names, but we use them as proper nouns that simply serve as names, and most times they have no other function. But in the Bible and in ancient societies, this was not the case. A classic example of that is what we discussed last week when I noted St. Paul changed from being Saul, being named after that great and first king of Israel, to being named Paul, the humble, the little one. So what does the name Theophilus mean? Theophilus is a Greek name, meaning lover of God or beloved by God. Many interpreters, even from the earliest times, considered this term to be used in a broader, more generic sense. Instead of viewing it as being addressed to an individual named Theophilus, they see it as being addressed more broadly to anyone who is a lover of God, or perhaps even to all humanity who, as the gospel teaches, is beloved by God. Interesting. So, if I understand you correctly, you're saying that the term O Theophilus could instead be translated as O lover of God or O beloved by God. So the passage would begin by saying, In the first book, 
O beloved by God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you can see how that makes sense. It's very much a pastoral opening, if you translate it that way. So, do you think that's the correct way to translate from the Greek? Well, to be honest, I would like it that way, but then you'd also want to be consistent and translate all names in the Bible like that as well, versus translating them uh, as we do into English as simply proper nouns. So, I don't really have a problem either way. I just think that people need to be instructed on topics like this so they understand the possible double meaning. I mean, even if Theophilus was a specific person, Luke almost certainly used the opportunity to insert his name to give this double meaning. But in the end, I think you should understand Theophilus in this broader sense. Luke was a disciple of the Apostle Paul, and clearly their message was not intended for just any one individual, but to the broader community. And then furthermore, they took a very pastoral approach to dealing with communities. So I think the translation makes the most sense, this beloved by God. And even if you insist that Theophilus was an individual person with whom Luke was associated, it's virtually certain, again, that Luke was simply playing on the name. Thanks for the explanation, Father. Very helpful. Sure. And getting into today's passage a little further, the disciples ask Jesus in verse 6, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? It seems they're still unclear as to the purpose of Christ's earthly ministry. So what's the aha moment, if you will, for the disciples? Is it at the Ascension? Is it at Pentecost? When does that occur? Yeah, most certainly they're still unclear, this passage that you read at the time of Christ's Ascension, about what Jesus has done and is doing. They're still clearly of the mind that Jesus was the type of political Messiah that most of the Jews at that time desired. And just briefly, Father, I know we've spoken about this in depth on past episodes, but please remind our listeners what type of Messiah most were looking for. Most were looking for a Messiah who would free the Jewish people from the Roman occupation of Jerusalem and Judea. And there are numerous times you can see this is the case, not just historically, but in some of the examples from the New Testament, some of which we've discussed and I'm sure we'll discuss in the future. So even Jesus' disciples were misunderstanding and were expecting that the Messiah would restore Jerusalem to the Jewish people, taking it back from Roman control. And this is precisely why in verse 6 they ask if Jesus will restore the kingdom of Israel. But of course, Jesus' message, the message and the ministry of the true Messiah of God, the one prophesied in the scriptures, was much different. It was not to conquer by wars and force, but rather Jesus' ministry was to reconcile people to God, and even more than that, also to reconcile people to one another, to have people, both Jews and Gentiles, together share table fellowship, to sit at one table in the presence of God, despite our differences all recognizing our inherent unworthiness before God, recognizing that we sit in God's presence by His grace alone, and that therefore we are to extend that same grace to our neighbor, whether he be a Jew or a Gentile, or no matter what his differences or her differences might be from us. So Jesus was not about restoring a physical, political kingdom of Israel. The true kingdom of Israel, the Israel of God, as St. Paul refers to it, transcends cultural and political and ethnic boundaries. 
and therefore there was no point in continuing the cycle of war and killing that the kingdoms of this world, even to this day, continue to propagate. Jesus was seeking an end to that, and his promise was that those who were obedient to this teaching, even, or I should say especially if they were put to death on account of that teaching and lifestyle, would be raised by God at the judgment to inherit eternal life. And looking at the Ascension more broadly, I would just note that it's designated as one of the great feasts in the life of the Church. So we can say the Ascension obviously carries with it great significance. What would you want us to take away from our conversation today, Father, as to the importance of this feast? Well, in addition to the things we've already mentioned, I would highlight probably two other areas. The first is to underscore Jesus' message to those who were there at his ascension. And he told them, quoting here, You shall be my witnesses, meaning that they should give testimony. You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's the end of the quote. So Jesus stresses this point, that his followers should be witnesses, should continue his teaching, and that they should do so not only among their fellow countrymen, but again to the end of the earth which highlights what I said just a minute ago about Jesus' kingdom transcending cultural and political boundaries. And then along with that, when Jesus disappears, the angel says to the men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so what's the significance of that to you, Father? The significance is to quit gazing into heaven and to get busy spreading Jesus' message. In other words, you can't just stand there in awe of Jesus forever. You have to get to work sharing his message of love and peace and reconciliation with others. And that's what he wants. We can't just stand and gaze at our icons all day. We have work to do on Jesus' behalf. In fact, he's commanded us to do so. And to follow that commandment is itself a worshipful act. It's a way of honoring him. And what was the second thing you wanted to add about the significance of the ascension? Well, the second thing I would add was not in today's reading from Acts, but it is mentioned later in Acts 7 and is also mentioned at the end of Mark's gospel in the 16th chapter. And in the Orthodox tradition, we read from that gospel at the Matin service for ascension. There it mentions that Jesus was seated at the right hand of God. And why is that important, Father? Really, at least two things. First, that Jesus is seated indicates that he is the judge, as stated more explicitly elsewhere in the Gospels. But think of the courtroom, even today in America, how the judge is always seated when he gives the judgment. Everyone else stands for the judgment, but the judge sits. So the ascension underscores that Jesus is seated as the judge. And then the other important aspect of that is that Jesus is placed at the right hand of God, and the right hand of God in the Bible signifies power, God's authority. So the ascension is showing that not only is Jesus raised unto life, but Jesus is raised unto power. Hmm. Very interesting. So one final question related to that. Why do you stress Jesus being raised, as you said, unto power? Because being raised from the dead is not completely unique in the Bible. There, there are other figures in the Bible, though rare, who were raised from the dead. 
you have Enoch and Elijah, for example, even the martyrs referenced in the book of Revelation, and of course we hear that all of us will be raised in the end. And I try to remind people the resurrection itself is neutral. We Christians often talk about the resurrection as though it's fundamentally or inherently good, but it's not. The resurrection by itself is purely functional. The resurrection serves the purpose, namely that you would stand before the judgment seat of Christ to be judged. What matters then is the result of that judgment. As we read from John's gospel at the funeral service, you will be raised either to the resurrection of life or to the resurrection of condemnation. But Jesus is and was completely unique to all those before him and all those after him. He was raised unto power, meaning that all others will be judged by him because he was and is and shall always be the only one who lived a life perfectly pleasing unto God the Father. Thank you, Father. Today's discussion began with Theophilus, the person whom St. Luke addresses both his gospel and the book of Acts. While it is possible that Theophilus was an actual person, Father Aaron explained that another possibility is that Luke intended the use of this name, which means lover of God or beloved by God, to address a much broader audience. What we can say for certain is that St. Luke's writings were not intended for any one individual, but for the broader community. We then turn to the disciples and their continued misunderstanding of the purpose of Christ's earthly ministry. Father Aaron reminded us that Christ did not come to free the Jewish people from the Roman occupation as they had expected. Instead, Christ came to reconcile them to God and to one another. In examining the importance of the Feast of the Ascension, we were given a few points to remember. The first, to remember Jesus' words he gave at his ascension, that, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Then, after Christ ascends, the angel asks the witnesses, Why do you stand looking into heaven? Father Aaron explained that we should heed these words and get to work, sharing his message of love, peace, and reconciliation with others, for Christ has commanded us to do so. Finally, it is noteworthy that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. Being seated underscores that Jesus is the judge. Furthermore, being seated at the right hand of God signifies his power. And so the ascension shows us that Jesus is not only raised unto life, but also unto power. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God. Alleluia, 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 glory to thee, O God.